set the table for us, Rick. Why does silver have your full attention right now? Uh, the honest answer to that is greed. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with natural resources investor Rick Rule. If you haven't yet watched part one of this discussion with Rick, in which he explains why he expects natural resources in general and precious metals specifically to be some of the best market performers over the next two years, head over to our channel at youtube.com Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment themes we discuss in this video. All right, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Rick Rule. Set the table for us, Rick. Why does silver have your full attention right now? Uh, the honest answer to that is greed. Uh, <laughs> when I look back over the last 50 years that I've been an investor, almost 50, uh, I've been a major beneficiary of silver. Uh, the volatility and the cyclicality of silver and the fact that most people who speculate in silver misunderstand the nature of that market. Uh, and understanding a little bit when most people don't understand very much at all is a huge competitive advantage. Silver is described as the poor man's gold, uh, which is to say because of its lower unit cost, it's accessible to more people. It's sort of democratized gold. And what that means is that after a, the primary trend has been established higher in a precious metals bull market, established by the way, the momentum by gold, the second half of a precious metals bull market is usually dominated by silver. It has more volatility to the upside. Uh, why that is, I'm not exactly sure. I spent 50 years trying to figure it out. I'm just sure that it is, not exactly why it's sure. But let's look at a few reasons. And let's look at some of the things that we plan to cover in the Silver Investors Bootcamp. You go, first of all, to supply and demand. And both are very tough to understand with regards to silver. Much of the silver that's ever been mined is still supply. <laughs> we take it out of a hole in the ground called a mine. We put it in a hole in the ground called a vault. So it isn't, you don't analyze supply the same way that you might oil or copper, which gets used. The other thing about supply that's really interesting is about 18% of primary silver supply comes from silver mines. The rest comes from recycling uh, and as a consequence of byproduct, from base metals mines. So to get some sense of what silver supply looks like five years from now, you have to have an opinion as to what the copper price is going to be as an example right. or what the gold price is going to be. So it's very difficult to understand the supply side. But one of the strangest things about the supply side is that much of the supply is hidden. Uh, a whole bunch of people who save their wealth in silver particularly in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and Sri Lanka, don't particularly want the government to know about their savings. Mm -hmm. The consequence of that is that we really don't know how much above ground silver supply there is. If I might digress, going back to the days when Buffett announced that he was long silver, you may remember that the silver price went up a lot and then the silver price collapsed. And of course, all the conspiratorialists said that this was the international Jewish conspiracy and the you know, the United Nations and the Bilderbergers and all that. What actually happened, we think, is that the silver price went up in U.S. dollar terms. The rupee fell by half in U.S. dollar terms, and there was a bad harvest, which meant that the silver price quadrupled in rupee terms at the same time that the Indian peasantry had a need for cash. Yeah. 
silver fulfilled its role and silver came out of India into the world market, collapsing the silver price. This is perversely one of the reasons why I like silver, because so many people who try to understand it don't know very much mm -hmm. about the fundamentals. It's difficult to understand supply. It's difficult to understand demand. Mm -hmm. What isn't difficult to understand is favor. Even the people who like silver are disappointed by the lack of momentum that silver has exhibited over the last three or four years. In order to be a speculator, in order to buy low and sell high, you have to buy assets that are out of favor. And when I look back at history, when I look at where the silver price could go and where the silver equities prices could go, I have to say there's absolutely no premium built into the silver market, which is to say that I get both the narrative and the history for free. For free. People are excited in the last two weeks because the silver price is up two bucks. Two bucks. If you look back at a history of the silver price going back to 1970, you'll see that $2 is an irrelevancy. The silver price can gain or lose $2 in a week simply by inhaling and exhaling. When I came <laughs> into the market, the price of silver was a buck 20. And in that market, it peaked at $50. Okay, $50. Fast forward to the next silver market that I enjoyed with Quartermain and Beatty and all my sort of comp compatriots. The silver price had fallen to, I think it was $4. And it went from $4 to $50. Not as dramatic a bull market as the first one, but plenty good enough for me, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at a long-term chart of the silver price, what you see is that it rewards you infrequently. And it rewards you from bases where it has been despised. But when it rewards you, it rewards you extravagantly. <laughs> and at age 70, well, almost uh, at age 70, I look forward to one more rip roaring bull market in silver. I believe that negative real interest rates will cause us to have a rip-roaring gold market. I believe that the momentum will be established by the gold market. And I believe that the logical conclusion about that based on history is that towards the middle and end of that bull market, that silver will outperform gold. But the most dramatic response will, of course, be in the silver equities. Right. The population of silver equities, including the pretenders even, the guys that have silver as a component in the name of a share certificate, but inconveniently don't have any silver. <laughs> um, the market capitalization, the combined market capitalization of all the silver companies in the world is infinitesimal, even compared to the gold market, which is like what, what ballpark infinitesimal. I, I don't even know the number. I can find that out and get back to you. But my friend Doug Casey points out when the generalist investor gets attracted to the silver narrative happened four times in my life. The amount of money that flows into the silver equity can't be contained by the market caps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they go crazy. I'll give you some historical examples just to drive your listeners crazy. My first bull market in the 1970s bull market, little tiny penny dreadful from Spokane called Coeur d'Alene Mines, went from 10 cents to $65, not a typo. Jeez. Sadly, I was too young and dumb to own it. The next time through, however, uh, two that uh, come especially to mind because I was involved in them. Silver Standard 
went from 72 cents to $45. Pan American from 50 cents to something over $40. The response that you get from an intelligently run, but a relatively unknown silver company in a silver bull market is absolutely astonishing. Now, this isn't something that somebody wants to put uh, their child's college tuition fund in. This is for the part of your portfolio where you're looking for truly outsized risks uh, and truly outsized rewards. I happen to believe that because of the entry point right now, that the risks are, at least in a historical context, minimized. And the time that one needs to wait to be rewarded uh, is probably short too. But nobody should be listening to this if they're afraid of volatility. And the point of the Silver Investors Bootcamp is to arm people with enough knowledge that they can outcompete other investors in this sector of the market. That's really what it's about. That's what we try to do with the Uranium Investors Bootcamp, as you'll recall. We began the boot camp with a presentation about the fundamentals of the uranium market. That by itself was worth the tuition. But then we moved from there to people who had 30 years experience in the uranium market. We talked about how to build a uranium company with people who had built uranium companies. We're going to do the same thing in the silver because the lessons of the Ross Beatties and the Bob Quartermains and the Randy Smallwoods who built multi-billion dollar silver companies are instructive for people to understand when they think about how to invest in silver companies today. These living legends uh, will tell you how the lessons that they learned building companies impact their actions as individual investors today. And believe me, you need to learn from them. We're going to talk about physical silver and the physical silver proxies. There's a whole bunch of ways to own silver. And not every way is not right for every person. We want to teach our attendees how to construct a portfolio that's more or less optimal for them. Many people don't know how to do that. They don't understand that a portfolio needs to serve them, not serve a market. And we hope to we hope to help them. And finally, Adam, and I know you have some questions, uh, but like every educational product I've offered up in 30 years, tuition to the silver boot camp comes with a full money back guarantee. If you don't think you've got your money's worth, email me. I'll give you your money's back. We sold 3,200 tickets to the uranium boot camp, And I think we had 30 refund requests, which is to say we did a pretty good job uh, of delivering value to 99.9% of the people who attended the event. And we're highly confident that we can do that with the silver, with the silver boot camp too. Well, I'm going to guess that 0.1% uh, were people that mistakenly bought two tickets and then realized it later on. No, um, actually, we had three people. I, I need to say this because I'm bragging. <laughs> we had three people who asked for their money back because they thought that the content was too advanced, that they couldn't use it. They got more than they needed. They needed <laughs> And, you know, that's pretty good criticism from my point of view. I was going to say that, that, that exactly. That's a high quality problem to have. <laughs> um, all right. Well, look, Rick, um, I think we've got enough people here. The hook is in they, you know, especially anybody that that went to the Uranium boot camp already knows the type of experience uh, that, that you offer, which is, you know, an incredibly robust one. Um, so for people that are eager to hear more details about this, um, when is it? February 11th. Okay. Uh, 
And what day of the week is that? Is that a weekend or a weekday? I don't know the answer to that, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, <laughs> okay. I don't have weekends, Adam. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll look it up, and when okay. I put the, I'll put the date on the screen. I'll put the, yep. the day of the week next to it. Um, uh, and how, how long of an event is it? It's all an day? eight and a half, eight and a half hour event. Uh, but understand that it's a web event, so people who uh, attend will be able to access the event for six months. Uh, I have now replayed the Uranium Boot Camp four times. And one would think that I knew the material fairly well from having presented it. <laughs> but the truth is that I get something new from other speakers every time I listen to it. So it's important to note that it will be approximately an eight and a half hour event live. But uh, the tuition covers six months of access. Of being able to replay. And that's where I was going with this, which is if people can't attend on that exact day, or they can't attend for the full event because they've got life obligations. Right. They don't need to worry. They're going to have the replay videos there that they can watch as much as they like for the next six months. Correct. Right. All right. Look, um, so folks, uh, if you're interested in learning more about this event, uh, and certainly if you're interested in registering for it, um, Rick's firm had sent me kind of a long URL. So I just put a redirect in place. Just go to wealthion.com slash silver bootcamp. Uh, and you'll be sent to Rick's site and you can learn all about this and big button there to sign up for it. Um, I can't wait to watch myself, Rick. Um, super excited about this space. Um, uh, I just want to let folks know, too, that uh, Wealthions, we have our, our uh, twice yearly conference. Our next one's coming up in mid-March. Um, and uh, you've kindly agreed to be a speaker there. Um, so thank you. I just want to let folks know that, that we're going to have you there and be able to tap your expertise for that event too. Um, we are going to basically do a dial through of, you know, what I'm sort of calling Rick's picks, but where, where you see some of the most interesting companies across the full spectrum uh, of hard assets. Um, and obviously if there's a key insight or two from the Silver Summit, maybe I'll be able to pry that from you too. But folks, definitely no substitute for going to the summit itself and, and, you know, drinking from the font of wisdom of the amazing experts that are there. And, you know, you guys know Rick, you've learned from this video and probably many of his other ones. He's one of the smartest guys uh, on the planet in this space, but he has mentors that he talks with. Um, he has uh, people who are domain experts for, you know, all sorts of parts of, of the silver sector. Uh, and as you just mentioned, you know, all these guys are going to be there in one place. So don't forget to go to wealthion.com slash silver bootcamp when this video ends. Um, Rick, it's always just such a pleasure to have you on. Um, as we begin to sort of fade out here, I want to underscore one point so that you can make a comment to it if you want to, which is um, this is a highly volatile space, as you talked about, right? Um, and there is there are ways to invest in this space, and there are ways to speculate in it, as you have said. Um, and even if it's just determining, you know, hey, how many ounces of precious metals should I own? You know, the answer to that question really needs to be factored into your overall uh, financial situation. And for a lot of people, especially those that are relatively new to this space, I think working with a professional financial advisor who understands the benefits of these companies, of, of these sectors, you know, uh, uh, to be honest, the majority of, of financial advisors that are out there try to talk people out of, of investing in precious metals for two reasons. One, if you're investing in the metals themselves, these advisors don't make any money off of that. So they don't want you to spend your capital there. They want to hold on to it themselves. And then a lot of these guys don't want to do the hard work that it takes to really understand 
the good opportunities in this space, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff. And, and they just sort of, you know, they guide their, their uh, clients away from it. So you'll want to work with a professional financial advisor that actually understands the whole thesis that Rick's been laying out here and can then ask you key questions like, okay, how much exposure should I have to the physical metals themselves? All right, what's my investing portfolio look like in these companies? Okay, what does my speculative slice look like? Um, if you've got a good one who does that, great, stick with them. If not, uh, consider talking to one of the financial advisors that comes on Wealthion uh, every week with me here. Um, you can schedule a free consultation with them. Just hear what they have to say. There's, it's totally free. There's no obligation to work with them. Uh, it's just a public service that they offer to try to help as make help help as many investors as possible make as informed a decision as possible about their capital allocations. If you want to set up one of those free consultations, just go to Wealthion.com, fill out the short form there. So sorry for that long-winded expose, Rick, but I know that this is sort of near and dear to your heart, which is you don't want people just sort of jumping into the space, you know, guns blazing without having the sufficient structure and, and protections in place, correct? Absolutely true. Uh, your knowledge is your first line of defense. Then the team that you choose is your second line of defense. Further to that, Adam, any of your listeners who care about my opinions to their natural resource portfolio, by the way, I'm not a manager, uh, can go to my website, uh, ruleinvestmentmedia.com, enter your natural resource stocks. I personally will rank them one to 10 uh, if I know them, and I'll comment on individual issues if I think my comments have any value whatsoever. Also, Adam, if I may, uh, in retirement, I'm starting a new bank. Uh, if any of your listeners are interested in a real bank, that is to say one that has money in it, one that will pay high deposit interest rates with simple deposit products, one that will offer uh, savings products in many currencies, not just the US dollar, and in particular, one that will loan against physical gold and silver holdings in segregated accounts, uh, simply at the Rural Investment Media site under questions and comments, write bank. So I'll rank your portfolio, and if you care about my bank, I'll tell you about my bank. Meanwhile, Adam, I can't wait to talk to people at your conference, and I can't wait to help your listeners at our Silver Investors Bootcamp. Well, it's such a joy, Rick. Um, when you when we edit this, um, I will put up the links to your website there so folks can take advantage of the kind offers that you've just mentioned there. Uh, but most importantly, folks, if you found this discussion interesting uh, about silver, um, which uh, every time I hear Rick talk about this, I, I literally am writing down, you know, okay, go sign up now. Um, go to wealthion.com slash silver bootcamp and go register for it. Rick, it's always such a pleasure to have you on the program. Total joy. Thanks so much, folks. If you've enjoyed Rick on this program, would like to see him come back, uh, do us a favor and support this channel by hitting the like button, clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon. Rick, thanks so much, buddy. Always a pleasure, Adam. Look forward to seeing you somewhere sometime. All right. Well, now's the time on the program where we bring in the lead partners from New Harbor Financial, one of the endorsed financial advisory firms by Wealthion, to both react to what Rick has told us, as well as talk about what the markets are up to since last week. I'm joined, as usual, by lead partners John Lodra and Mike Preston. Hey, guys. Um, Mike, why don't we start with you? Um, so the great Rick rule, right? Uh, I'm assuming a lot of what he said uh, is very aligned with your guys' strategy at New Harbor from what you guys say on this channel every week. Um, I'm sure you guys love the deep dive into precious metals because that's been kind of a cornerstone of your portfolio for a good while. Um, but don't let me put words in your mic. What were some of your top takeaways from the interview? 
Yeah, big picture. Um, just to start off with with how Rick started off his conversation, I agree completely with what I think he said when you asked your first question. You know, what does he think about the global economic picture? Um, you know, he says what we need is a synchronized restorative recession or correction. I'm not sure his exact word, but basically he's saying that we need a contraction. We need some type of pullback in markets. He's absolutely right. We've had 40 years of, of a tailwind and, and interest rates. And then, of course, we had globalization and offshoring of jobs and all kinds of things that allowed us to maintain a lifestyle here, at least in the United States, that's been really, really nice. Uh, it does seem like we're reaching the end of that road because now we we require a permanently overvalued market. We know that this market is has been overvalued for most of the last 20 years by far compared to long-term averages. And the only time that we even got near uh, longer-term equilibrium, you know, kind of market clearing rates or, or a, an expected return that's more normal would be near the bottom of the financial crisis in March of 2009 and maybe for a little while in 2002 after the tech bubble burst. And so we're, you know, presently we're at levels that we can expect negative returns over the next 10 years. We don't really know when that's going to happen uh, or, or even if it's going to happen, actually. We might have a crash tomorrow. We may go sideways for the next 10 years. But we can say with confidence that we're likely to have negative expected returns in total over the next decade. So it's almost like why play the game? And now at the same time, we have treasury bills, which are yielding 4.5%, even a little more if you go out to six months. So Rick says we need a, a restorative correction. And you know he says that he prefers to be a contrarian versus a victim. I, I really uh, resonated with that statement because I think that we've been contrarians. I don't think we're always contrarians. We don't always want to be contrarians. I'd like to just uh, get back to picking good old-fashioned stocks and, and selecting the strongest sectors and that type of thing. But the level of extreme uh, or the level of extremity that we've been living through most of this last 10 to now 15 years has required us to become somewhat contrarians. Um, you have to understand that the central banks have printed so much money that it's hard to tell what's real anymore sometimes. And so looking at things with the degree of skepticism, I think is helpful, realizing the backdrop of what we what we have here, supremely overvalued markets that are required to stay there or everything falls apart is not a healthy thing. So um, you know, Rick talks a lot about that, healthy skepticism towards the status quo, that that's likely changing. We think that's very likely changing soon and we're very heavily defensive. That being said, we've got a lot of ideas. We put some new things in the portfolio recently that we can talk about today. And you know, lastly, I'll close with this. Rick is a big believer in real assets, particularly gold and silver. We are too. Those things are outside of money printing and you know, um, uh, you know central bankers kind of magic, so to speak. At least we hope they are long-term. And so we're big believers in that and it's represented in our portfolio. All right. Well, you know, Rick, obviously, um, you know, big focus of this discussion was the precious metals. Um, big fan of both gold and silver, but really seems to be saying, hey, the time, silver's time is here, right? He basically said, you know, there's a lot of reasons why he's he's into it right now, but but his greed is the number one <laughs> where, you know, <laughs> this is a guy who's been involved in natural resources investing his entire career. 
uh, kind of a legend uh, because of his uh, his long-term success in it. And I've known, I've followed Rick periodically enough to where, you know, I've seen him really lean hard into a particular commodity. Um, uranium comes to mind a few years ago. And, um, uh, you know, sometimes it's a little early, but he's generally been very correct in seeing where the puck is headed. And he's now saying, hey, the next really big opportunity is silver. And obviously he and I talked about a silver summit. Um, but uh, uh, I want to dig a little more deeply into the precious metals with you guys. But real first, John, I'll just give you a chance, uh, high level or specific, what were some of your key takeaways from the conversation? Yeah, thank you, Adam. And uh, just to you know, kind of pick up where Mike left off. Um, one of the things that Rick said, which I think really ties into our expectation for the the forward-looking market here is to expect more volatility. You know, we can really zoom zoom out and look at the last 40 years and, and see a tremendous tailwind for financial assets, both stocks and bonds, most notably in the in the form of steadily decline, declining interest rates. Just pull up a chart of 10-year treasury bond yields in the U.S. over the last 40 years uh, since the high inflation of the early 80s, and, and you'll see what I mean. That's a tremendous tailwind to both stocks and bonds. And throw into that the tremendous um, liquidity and, and manipulation, I'll even say that central banks, uh, to use a word that uh, that Rick uh, spoke to, coerced markets. This It wasn't a conversation about free markets. It was a coercion of markets by central planners. Um, that that tailwind has largely run its course, we believe. Certainly, they'll try to pull in um, policy measures to to uh, put band-aids on things. But the, the degree of, of the tailwind that has been provided by those factors, we think, is largely behind us uh, and that the next years will be probably very choppy, very volatile. Uh, Mike spoke of uh, a reasonable expectation of, of the broad stock market from current valuations to, to go nowhere, probably even slightly negative on a real basis, maybe slightly positive on a nominal basis. But the reality is, uh, you know, reliable metrics suggest that uh, the, the passive uh, broad investment in, say, the S&P 500, to pick on the U.S. stock market, is likely to under, underperform over the next decade what, what treasury bonds are paying over the next de de decade. And, and that will change. Um, all, all it takes is a repricing of markets, uh, certainly perhaps brought on by uh, a global recession like, like Rick uh, talked about and Mike mentioned. Um, our, our quick take is that um, we're in a phase where the, the early popping of a large bubble uh, has started. Last year, you, you might say, is an opening salvo to uh, at least moderating some of the extreme, extreme overvaluations in markets. But we're still at a level where valuations have only been seen on, on reliable metrics anyways. Uh, not single-year fabricated forward-looking earnings and estimates and things like that, but but more robust multi-year, you know, 10-year um, type of uh, valuations um, that rivals only two times in history, uh, the tech bubble peak and the peak right before 1929. So a passive basket is likely to be very, very disappointed. But we, we think, and this plays into our style quite a bit, um, there's increasing dislocation, we think, in the, in the broad markets. So there likely will be opportunities to invest selectively in certain areas that either are tremendous values, um, uh, some of the very deep value stocks, for example, um, uh, probably are starting to look compelling on, on market weakness and, and entry points, but sectors like we talked about here, we're big fans of real assets and the structural underinvestment that Rick talked about is, is likely to be a huge tailwind. So things like um, uh, natural resources of, of all, site, all types, uh, energy, um, industrial metals and materials, um, certainly we think precious metals, um, 
and also added volatility. Um, and Rick said, you know, make volatility your friend. We think that's very sage advice. And and you know, some of our hallmark strategies, including the use of of options, covered call writing, and things like that, are are, are just one way to help to to try to monetize um, that volatility. Simply because when you're, for example, selling call options, the premium you take in, uh, all else being equal, tends to be more rich. Uh, when volatility is heightened. It's not a free lunch, but you know it's a careful selection of sectors and, and areas to be in, but adding in some hedges and, and uh, volatility extraction tools like options. Um, so that's a big picture takeaway. Uh, you know, we, I'm sure we'll dive a lot deeper into you know, micro uh, points on that. Um, all right, great. Yeah, and just to add to your list of um, some of the things Rick mentioned that they're going to add a tailwind uh, to the back of, of commodities are likely to, to put a tailwind. Obviously, the this the supply underinvestment that is going to create for future scarcity probably the big driver um but you know as rich said you know, population is still growing right world population is still growing people need things especially people that are trying to emerge out of poverty of which there are still billions on this planet uh and he said that you know we are fortunately seeing um gentrification is probably the wrong word but but you know we're, we're seeing the progression of uh, more and more people from the lowest levels of poverty into, you know, higher, uh, at least rungs of the prosperity ladder, which is a good thing for humanity, uh, which Rick, you know, I love how he says he's really bullish on humanity. Um, but that's, um, you know, all those people are going to be placing um, exponentially more demand on the physical world as they go up those, those prosperity rungs. Um, in addition to that, we have the um, the more bipolar world that we're entering into, or maybe I should say bifurcated world, uh, where it looks like the the trend of globalization uh, is now either paused or actually entering into reverse, and we will become a, a more deglobalized uh, system, um, largely in part from you know the, the kind of hand grenade that the Russian invasion into Ukraine kind of created around the world where it's forcing people to you know, kind of pick a side uh, and already big trade lines have been with uh, redrawn. Um, but there's going to be increasing competition from the different trading blocks for these commodities, um, where in the in the older days, you know, up until relatively recently, the, the West was kind of able to get as much as it wanted and it would all be priced in dollars. Um, now it looks like there's going to be more competition from these blocks and there might even be more competition for what these things are priced in, right? So that's just, we've had a couple of guests on this program saying that that's just going to be an inflationary uh, upward pricing pressure on commodities going forward. Um, and then we just have, you know, general inflation itself, right? Um, you know, we are seeing disinflation right now as, as CPI is beginning to come down. Um, but there are a lot of people who've been on this channel recently who just think we're we're, we're not going to go back to kind of a, a, a you know sub two percent CPI average um, for the next decade. They think because of a lot of the factors we just rattled off here, that inflation is just just going to be higher going forward, and you know th that's likely going to be reflected in commodity prices too. So, anyways, lots and lots of sort of tailwinds uh, to the sector in general. Um, uh, What's interesting though is is you know sort of Rick was saying you know we we kind of need this cleansing fire um, of of a of a recession um, to to reprice a lot of the excess that's currently in, in still in the markets still in asset values um, and that might 
bring the prices of a lot of these commodities and, and the companies that mine and extract and refine them, et cetera, um, down in the near term, um, which, you know, in Rick's words, there's kind of could create almost in, in certain, you know, could create great values. And in certain cases for certain commodities, maybe like generationally low values that we won't see again, as a lot of these uh, tailwinds that we talk about um, really start blowing um, as we get into future years here. So I sort of see you guys nodding as I'm saying all of this. Um, but uh, I take it you guys, you know, you take all those forces into your portfolio allocation there. I know you've got precious metals, like we said. I know you guys also have some exposure to some other uh, commodity producers or commodity players, energy, a few other different sectors that you cover. Um, and uh, uh, you're also looking at some of the emerging market. Uh, uh, well, yeah, you've got some emerging market exposure in your portfolio specifically because those tend to be more resource-heavy Economy. So I'll take a breath here, but John, you've been nodding a lot as I've been saying all this. Yeah, that's right, Adam. Uh, we totally agree that there is a dramatic shift globally um, between big countries, demographics, and uh, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of um, looking outside our own, own walls to to see that um, many emerging countries are are uh, seeing widening of prosperity uh, into the less prosperous classes. Um, it's not with ease or perfection. There's plenty of uh, hiccups going on in places like China and things like that as they make that macro shift. Um, but yeah, I, th I think the, the the analogy that uh, Rick used that folks like us, you know, when we have money to spend, it's, it's probably more in the category of services rather than things because we most of us are fortunate to have some shelter that we live in that's adequate and uh, maybe even comfortable. Uh, but many parts of the world are going to use the analogy of uh, replacing a a uh, thatch roof with a, a metal roof. Um, th this is real stuff that will drive uh, demand for um, material type things. Um, and and so we do like, we actually, when we talk broadly about the US stock market and talk about how richly overvalued it still remains, it's quite a different picture if you look at uh, international equities, especially emerging markets. Now they're not without risk. And especially if we see a concerted uh coordinated global slowdown like like uh, is a possibility that that we've we've talked about and Rick talked about but the valuations of those emerging markets are are far more attractive than the US market so we do have exposure to both emerging markets equities uh as well as some emerging market sovereign debt all, all denominated in local currencies so certainly um uh a play on the valuation uh, dislocations between those markets and the U.S. markets, but also bigger picture, picture three thematic trends like the, the that growth uh, uh, trajectory of of uh, widening prosperity. Um, you know, these things can be benefited if the dollar. We think the dollar is probably a little um, overdone on the downside of late, and there's probably a good likelihood of a, of a, some strengthening in the dollar. Um, and that could be brought on perhaps by some 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 you know shockwaves going through the monetary uh, circles. But um, bigger picture, we do have uh, exposure to those spaces. So, so the, the the bottom line is there there are places to opportunistically be deploying capital, even if we still advocate a, a, a very conservative posture, keeping things uh, a, a fairly large amount of one's assets in very liquid short-term treasury bills, things like that, that are finally pay, paying some some attractive yield um, that can at least uh, tide one over until better opportunities emerge more broadly. All right. Well, well said. Um, all right, Michael, I'll come to you with this 
point that Rick had raised, which is um, uh, assuming for a moment that inflation is more entrenched going forward. In other words, we're just going to be at a higher baseline over the next decade. So let's just make that assumption for a second. Um, that, uh, uh, you know, it. so right now we have bonds paying the best they've paid in a long time, right? Um, but the yields are still negative, right? The real yields are still negative. Um, so Rick was talking about if you're a bond portfolio manager, right? You're, you're kind of just mathematically looking out at this future of, of real negative yields, right? And that's not attractive, especially when you have all these, you know, payout, especially if you're running like a pension fund or whatnot, where you, you have these, these actuarial responsibilities you have to deliver on. Um, and so if, if we continue to have, uh, or if we now have a higher baseline for inflation going forward, um, you know, if that, that negative real yield situation continues, the bond portfolio managers or, or, or the big portfolio managers who have a substantial bond percentage holding, they've got to figure out what to do with that, right? Um, you know, and, uh, you know, Rick is basically saying, um, you know, gold starts looking or precious metals start looking a lot more attractive in that world uh, to those guys, because it's like, all right, I, I can at least, you know, shove part of my capital into something that I'm confident isn't going to be losing purchasing power the way that I see mathematically in my bond projections that I'm going to be losing uh, real purchasing power. Um, so I'm just curious, is that is, is, is your guys' reaction to that? Is, and is that something that you guys are sort of expecting as sort of a secular tailwind for precious metals going forward, that they may be capturing more and more uh, capital from traditional portfolios? And, and one last stat on that. Um, Rick had mentioned that uh, currently the allocation of precious metals in the average portfolio is one half of 1%. And uh, that's down from a 40-year average of 2%. So he's just basically saying he sees reasons why more capital should go into the precious metals. And he's like, even if we just get back to the 40-year average, that's a quadrupling of capital going back into the precious metals market. So is this a, a force of nature that you guys are sort of expecting the precious metals to ride over the next decade or so? Yeah, we think so. I mean, the technicals look very good for, for gold and silver. The, you know, the fundamentals are good. I wasn't aware of those exact percentages, but I thought that was fascinating that the the investment allocation is somewhere around one half of 1% right now across the board. And long-term averages are more like 2%, I think he said, which which is you know a huge opportunity. And, and who can tell what is going to cause the realization moment in the investment public? When are they going to wake up and say, you know, the central banks don't really know what they're doing. There is no plan B. They're just going to keep printing money until something breaks, which it's probably going to break, sadly. And it's going to give us that generational buying opportunity that Rick talked about. I hope it does. Uh, I think it's going to be painful and it's going to, a lot of people are going to be hurt. But my main hope is that the kind of the corruption, if I can use that word of central banking becomes known and there's a moment of justice for all that. I think that would be a good thing. And yes, maybe we'll get some good buying opportunities then, but that's not the main objective. I think the main objective for me anyway, or my main desire would be to bring some, some fairness and some freedom back to markets. And part of that is gold. Gold and silver are, are real money. They're always going to be real money. I'm not 100% sure about Bitcoin. That's another debate. Maybe that is too. But 
I do know that silver and gold have been around for thousands of years. And the technicals on these things are starting to look much better. I'm just, if, if I, if I don't know if I can, but if I could say, I, I can either share a chart or I could send you one later, Adam, um, gold is inching up towards $2,000 an ounce. And it's kind of like a stealth move. Great. Well, do, you know? do it here. Do it here. Pull it up in real time. Okay. Yes. I'll go ahead and do that. Just give me one second. I have it right up here. Here it is. So here is basically a monthly chart of gold. It's at 1940 an ounce. Uh, I think that you probably can see it now. Yep. And look, this is a monthly chart. We've talked about this many, many times, this big cup and handle, this bullish triangle that looks great. And then boom, seven months of disappointment. But look at the last three months. It's rallied almost $400 here. I mean, it's one, two, three big, big moves. Pretty soon, if we go through... If we go towards 2000, we're basically kissing the old highs and we might just see a short covering rally to blow us right through there. Now, if that happens, the gold projects to about 2500. The silver chart looks a little bit different, but it's bullish as well. And so, you know, my whole point on gold is that this has been a, in my opinion, not a well talked about move in gold. And, and that's a good thing. It's, it doesn't seem to be overly hyped and yet it's, it's been stealthy. It's above the apex of this triangle. And again, if we go through 2000, it should accelerate. If you look at what the miners are doing here, um, they're actually underperforming gold. If you look at you know where gold was before um, or, or where miners were, where gold was before, we should really be in the 35 to 40 range on GDX. And it will probably get there soon once that realization starts to, to kick in. But uh, I can go ahead and stop sharing this now. So we we are bulls on a secular basis, long-term in gold and silver. We're bulls on more freedom and, and equilibrium coming into markets. And uh, I, there's just going to be very little places to go that you can trust, I believe, particularly if we have some kind of big drop in markets. I, I don't know what's going to make that happen. Markets are back at critical junctures uh, or at a critical juncture on the S&P kind of below uh, between the 50 and the 200 day moving average. And um, we're recording this on a Wednesday, the 25th of January. The market was really weak this morning. It's trying to bounce intraday here. We'll see what happens. But the market, we need to see the market have the bottom drop out of it, have a little bit of the realization moment that we've talked about before. I think we're going to see an elevator drop down towards 3,200 or so. And I think that will only be the first step. If that happens, and some other, who knows what else could happen in the world, maybe in conjunction of that. There's all kinds of surprises that can happen in, in, in such a kind of contrived financial system. We could see gold take off at the same time, even with the S&P dropping, in my opinion. So, All right. Good answer. I appreciate you sharing the chart because in many ways it sort of shows the coiling of what's been happening with the gold price over a prolonged period of time. And maybe, like you said, technically we're, we're poised potentially near a breakout point. Um, I like that the technicals are lining up well, but I really like that that point from from Rick about um, the dilemma that that the bond market's in because the bond market's huge, right? It's tremendously huge. Even if just one percent of the bond market moved over into precious metals, I mean, they would just shoot the moon, right? Because the precious metals markets are so much smaller compared to the bond market. Um, and, and just for folks that don't know the precious metals market very well, gold is by far the larger of the two. Um, you know, gold is a is a is a trillion dollar market, um, several trillions. 
uh, silver is in the billions. And it's kind of hard, as Rick was saying, to get a real strong sense of exactly how much silver there is out there. But most of the the data that I've pulled for sort of available above ground, above ground silver is like in the, you know, it's in the tens of billions. Um, it's not a lot. Uh, and so um, it's a very, very small door if capital ever decides, serious capital ever decides that it wants to go in there. But what I like about the, the whole bond thing is just that it, it, that's just a mathematical problem looking for a solution, right? So we don't need to have the fiat currencies melt down for gold to show at the moon. We don't need to have, you know, global war. Hopefully we've got, we have neither of those two things. But my point is, is like a lot of the people who are holding gold are expecting it's going to do really well when there's a massive crisis that arrives. And I'm not saying that that won't, but I'm just saying that there are other big secular reasons like the one that Rick laid out there with the bonds that also provide a good argument for why the precious metals could do really well. So there's lots of different scenarios out there that could paint a very prosperous future for the precious metals. Um, all right. Uh, so uh, I had uh, right after I interviewed Rick the other day, I interviewed John Hathaway. Um, and that interview is going to launch first on uh, Mike Maloney's Gold Silver uh, YouTube channel. Um, and then probably after a couple of days, a week or so, I'll, I'll try to get the replay on this channel. Um, and I, I won't go too much in the detail there. I'll let folks watch the, the interview for themselves. But one of the things that John was talking about was, you know, how gargantuan the paper gold market is relative to the actual physical gold market and went into the reasons for kind of how that evolved. And basically saying that, that the, the paper detail has wagged the physical price dog for far too long in this market. And he can see a number of developments that could could not necessarily remove that, but dramatically weaken uh, the strength of the paper market over the physical market. And he said, if the market was actually priced off of the physical, the availability of the physical, he said the repricing that that would create in in gold and in silver would be you know mind boggling. Uh, he didn't want to really pick a number, but you know it, we're definitely talking about sort of multiples of of current prices. Um, so uh, you know that could be super fascinating as well. I mean, again, I'll let folks watch that that video. My my underlying point here is there are just many different potential scenarios out there that all, again, sort of point to higher or potentially like really substantially higher valuations for precious metals. Now, that being said, it's a rocky road. John, you were talking earlier about how Rick was saying, you know, volatility is going to be a bigger player going forward. We talked about how, you know, there might be a, a you know recession this year, the dollar may strengthen. There may be things in the short term that send these prices lower. Um, that creates buying potential, which is great if you've got you know, dry capital and are able to to uh, deploy it. But I'm sure a lot of people watching are like, okay, maybe I, you know, I, I want to have exposure to the space. Um, I don't have a ton of extra dry capital, you know, once I make those investments. So how do I invest in this space without worrying about losing too much in a drawdown? And if you can just give 30 seconds on how you guys protect against downdrafts in the the precious metals positions that you guys take. Yeah, happy to, Adam. And and everything we do, Mike and I and our team at New Harbor do, is with our clients in mind. Yeah, we can talk all we want about this or that, prognosticate about this, but it all comes down to our clients and their financial assets and the important uh, purpose they have in their lives. And most of our clients are uh, very concerned about uh, volatility. They want stability in their portfolio. So uh, one of the best ways to, to not subject yourself to undue risk in, in things like 
precious metals as bullish as we are and constructive as we are. There's such a thing as too much of a good thing. So position sizing is really important. That's the first important thing. Don't have too much of your financial assets in, in one basket and, and precious metals are a basket. Um, so so we'll, we'll manage position size, but we also use uh, hedging tools. You know, we can use things like options. In fact, uh, for our larger accounts that can, can accommodate options, uh, we have uh, half our precious metal mining position hedged with what's called a collar position where we've put a line in the sand below which uh, the mining stocks could drop and our clients would be no worse off. Uh, and and you know we've sold call options to, to pay for that insurance in, in effect of what it is. But you know we use tools to kind of try to have exposure to the space but but smooth the ride. And we couldn't agree more with uh, Rick's sentiment that, uh, for most people, having the majority of the exposure in the in the majors, having the beta, that's exactly the way we see it. We we think the the broad sectors are compelling enough that you don't need to go speculating in the small, unproven, volatile companies. Uh, more by and large. All right. Um, well, really well said. Look, as we wrap things up here, um, I would be remiss to if I didn't point out that again, you know, Rick is super bullish on silver um he says right now there's no premium baked into the silver price at all right now as he looks at it um so uh you know and, and then he also talks about you know thinking that uh both gold and silver are going to be some of the best performers in 2023 he said ah, maybe it'll be bleed into 2024 a little bit um can't pick these things with exactitude but sort of with a 12 plus month outlook he thinks these things are, are really set to ride um, not that you guys have to look through the exact same lens as, as Rick, but are you guys, um, you know, looking to increase your exposure either the precious metals or maybe particularly silver, given Rick's enthusiasm here? Do you have any immediate plans to do that? Uh, I'll go to you, Mike, with this question. Uh, on the miners, I don't think that we have any immediate plans to increase our allocation. We've got a roughly 10% position in the model. Um, but I, I guess I'd also add uh, that we we want people to actually have bullion as well. So the, one of the first things we do is talk to them about bullion before they even come to invest with us. We ask them, do you have physical precious metals? We think that you should have five to 10 percent of your investable assets and in physical precious metals. Oftentimes, you know, we'll, we'll we'll talk to them and they don't. And in one way or another, we'll either help them get that or they'll they'll get that on their own. So right off the top, they're starting with 10% physical precious metals. Then we're putting 10% miners in what's left. And that's close to 20% of their investable assets in precious metals or miners. And so to go up from there would be a very aggressive move. And we just don't think it's necessary based on where we think gold's going and silver's going. So I don't think so. Like John said, we protect the downside because if we get an S&P crash, we could literally, we could see miners go down with them. Uh, we hope not, but it's happened in the past. It could happen again. And we've got puts to put a floor in there that will let us ride that out. But long, you know, long story short, no, I don't really think we're going to increase the allocation. We hope the allocation increases by market appreciation. Yeah, uh, okay. I'll just add a little to that. You know, we, we may, and we have, frankly, over the last uh, handful of months, um, effectively increase the uh, exposure by augmenting the risk reward equation and the hedges we use. So we might hedge less robustly or give more room for for that position to run. So so effectively that that it, that is expanding 
um, the exposure, um, the more tightly we hedge, the, it's financially equivalent to, to uh, diminishing exposure. So we'll, 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 we'll widen or, or constrict that, those hedges uh, dynamically as we see fit. Great. It sounds like you're, you're, you're giving the precious metals part of the portfolio a longer leash to run with, right? Yeah, you're nodding here. Okay, great. One, one last thing, Adam, I should yeah, point man. out. Sorry, I forgot to mention. We just did add a commodity position too. You know, we bought an ETF that's uh, fairly equal weighted in the commodity space. Unlike other ETFs that are very heavily weighted oil, this one is more equally weighted. It's a small position, just a starter position, but we like the technicals and commodities lately. Um, and the relative strength of commodities versus other assets in the market is really starting to tick up. So we just put a starter position of 3% uh, of this ETF that, in, that holds commodities. Now, I'm not sure the exact uh, percentage metals. It might be somewhere around 20 25%. So that, in effect, added close to another percent to our metals allocation as well. Okay, great. And Mike, I'm going to get skewered if I don't ask you this to, to share the ticker of the ETF. Uh, I'll, I'll do all the um, caveating, not personal financial advice. Folks shouldn't go run out and just buy this because Mike's mentioning it. Um, but, but what is that ETF, Mike? Uh, I'll have to put a, a big fat disclaimer on it that this is not investment advice and this should only be used as a you know as a proxy um uh, for for you know following the commodities uh, moves in the market but we ended up putting on um uh, gcc golf charlie charlie which is uh an etf that's more uh you know equal weighted and um we just like the composition better okay great it, it has uh and just to add it, it has precious metal exposure but again as mike said it's it's a, a equal way relatively equal spread across a wide degree of commodities including industrial metals uh agriculturals things like that so it's a broad-based commodity play it does have some oil exposure to the oil commodity and and truly it is something that you we're not offering as advice here because there are tax considerations and distribution uh profiles and in, in dividends and things like that that an investor should be very mindful of and, and we certainly have done our homework on it and we encourage folks to do so great and you're you're making my case for me i make on this program every week this is one of the reasons why you want to work with a professional financial advisor who can help make sure a it's appropriate for your needs and goals and personal situation, but it is also taking your full financial picture in mind in terms of whether this is the right kind of instrument to have in there. Um, all right, great. Well, look, um, we're going to wrap things up here. Um, I just want to give a couple of free resources for folks. So folks hang with me for one more minute here. Um, I think it was Mike who was making the, the point about, um, you know, not just having exposure to some of the publicly traded companies in your portfolio, but actually owning a bullion yourself as part of you know, kind of your total portfolio of exposure to precious metals. Um, we get a lot of questions from folks all the time, which is, okay, well, how much should I buy and where should I buy it from and how should I hold it? And what are my options? Uh, we have a free guide that explains all that for you. Just go to wealthion.com slash how to buy and you can uh, download it there. It's got, you know, all the, the purchasing options and the pros and cons of each, but also the storage options because, you know, above a certain amount of ounces, you don't want to be storing this stuff yourself um, because of a theft list risk or, you know, loss risk or whatever. So um, go get that free guide. Um, I just want to remind everybody, um, you know, of, of Rick's level of excitement, so so much so that he is offering that silver boot camp coming up. I believe it's February 11th. Um, just go to wealthion.com slash silver boot camp. Uh, and that'll send you to uh, Rick's site with all the details of the event uh, and the, the instructions on how to register if you decide you want to do it. 
Um, I'll be signing up for it just to let folks know, full transparency. Um, and then lastly, uh, back to the main message of this channel, uh, lots and lots of reasons that Rick mentioned uh, for, um, you know, uncertainty, volatility, um, but tremendous opportunity uh, in this uh, in the hard asset space. John and Mike did a great job of corroborating that and explaining why um, for most people trying to figure out, you know, which companies to invest in and then how to construct a portfolio that can survive the type of volatility that we think might be lying ahead. Usually very hard for the average person to figure out how to do that well, which is why we recommend that people work in partnership with a professional financial advisor who takes all these uh, issues that Rick talked about into consideration and then comes up with a portfolio strategy uh, to optimize them. If you've got a good one who's already doing that for you, great. Definitely stick with them. But if you don't, or if you'd like a second opinion from one who does, uh, feel free to talk to one of the financial advisors that Wealthion endorses, maybe even John and Mike and their team there at New Harbor. Uh, to set up one of those free consultations, uh, just go to Wealthion.com, fill out the short form there. Again, doesn't cost you anything, no commitment to work with those guys. It's just a free public service that these advisors offer to help people make more informed decisions today before all the activity that may happen actually happens. Um, all right. And with that said, guys, if you enjoyed having Rick Rule on this program, the great Rick Rule, would like to see him again and other great guests of his caliber. Please support this channel by hitting the like button, then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. John and Mike, guys, thanks so much for joining me for yet another week. Great job today. Whatever the markets do uh, between here and next week, um, we'll have you guys back on next week to uh, deconstruct it for everybody and hopefully make us all even that much smarter. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching. John and Mike, see you next week. Thank you again, Adam, and appreciate it like usual, all your viewers. See you next week. Thanks, Adam. Until next week. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth. And because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we've put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, 
and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-US clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching. Thank you.